This morning, um, we are going to be looking at the church in Smyrna. And uh, before we get there, I, I want to do a little bit of, real quick, like going back to where we started. We started out in Revelation chapter 1, a portrait of, of Jesus Christ, the coming King. And as we are going through even our worship this morning, we were given, hopefully you received just a beautiful vision of, of Jesus Christ coming again. When we arrive at eternity's shore, death will be just a memory and tears will be no more. I want you just to kind of get that into your mind. Because John was writing to the churches, the seven churches in, in Asia Minor, just giving them a word of encouragement. He starts off saying, um, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has set us free. That is the Jesus that we are here this morning to worship and enjoy. And we're going to be sending our kids back. And this is not just, man, we, we need to get our kids out of, uh, out of big people church. We, we find it extremely critical that our, our kids too, especially the older kids, begin to understand that together we are going to be on eternity's shore, worshiping Jesus enjoying Jesus, savoring Him for all of eternity. And we need to give them taste now of who Jesus is and what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. But we're sending them back to give them an opportunity to hear it in words that they understand, in ways that they can get. So we're, we're going to bring our kids up before we go any further. There we go. So... Open up to Ephesians, uh, sorry, to Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And I want to do a, just, a, I kind of want to set up this morning uh, this sermon by kind of reading a, uh, a fictitious letter, if you will, that you can imagine might be found in your church bulletin one Sunday morning in Smyrna. It reads like this. Over the last several months, our impoverished fellowship has come under brutal attacks by the Jews in Smyrna. When we gather, we are at, they are at our door screaming profanities as we make our way in. During our service, they pound relentlessly on the walls and doors to disrupt us. As we depart, we get spit on, manhandled, or pelted with stones. And as a result, many new believers are just dropping out. And fewer unbelievers are coming to visit. Moreover, those of us who remain are finding it difficult not to feed upon each other's fear and apprehensions. Because we have been taught that God has jurisdiction even over our enemies and always stands ready to deliver his people, we have been praying for God's intervention. We can report today a miracle. We are told that John the Apostle had a spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ during his imprisonment and has sent us a letter personally addressing 
us by the Lord. So we'll gather this evening and read the letter. And tonight, learn what God has in store for us. Let us remain hopeful that our deliverance is near. Imagine yourself hearing that. Now read with me Revelation 2, starting at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It speaks nothing, speaks nothing about deliverance, but only of this impending persecution that is coming, and even more terrible than before. If you were there that evening hearing the message to the church in Smyrna, would your heart sink? You are being persecuted right and left. People are just scattering. They're scared of their very lives, their only livelihood. Fathers are worrying, do I bring my wife and my children to the gathering of God's people? What do I do? And they get this message that, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Be faithful even unto death. I'm going to suggest that many of their hearts sunk. Funk, stunk, stunk, fell into a funk of despair. They were about to be severely tested. And they would have to trust God through it all. Now this is kind of, a, honestly, an odd message for, as I'm sitting in this over the week, it feels like an odd message to be delivering to a bunch of us, upper middle class folk, in south suburban Illinois, Chicago area. We're, we're, we're this upper middle class, and here's this talk about persecution. When we talk about persecution, we, we, t- we feel like it's uh, when you're driving down LaGrange into Orland Park, and you get stuck behind Grandpa, who probably should not have a driver's license anymore, but for some reason, he is driving well under the speed limit. That for you, you're just persecuted, you're oppressed, you're, you're afflicted, it's just as terrible. For some of us, it might even be a little bit worse than that. It might be an in-law. You think, man, I am being persecuted. Maybe it's a boss. Man, I, I just don't, I'm not getting my way. Things are going really well. That's kind of persecution, you know. My rights are gone, you know. Stand up for me. What about the little guy? It's always the big guy pushing down on me. And that's when we think about oh, persecution, toil, being oppressed. 
We think about maybe, you know, in the news, you, you hear about religious freedoms and rights are being kind of taken away from not-for-profit agencies like hospitals who are now, if you're a Catholic hospital or a Christian organization, non-for-profit organization, you have to provide these services, even though it's against your right. We think that might be persecution or, or oppression. But in light of this, I don't think that we get it. I think of the stories that come from Joss, Nigeria. Hearing John and Missy Camiola, listening, reading their updates. The missionaries that we support who are at the crossroads of the Muslim North and the Christian South. Where people, where Boko Haram is bombing and killing people for their religious beliefs. Imagine the fear that is going on in those communities that at any time your children, your store, your livelihood could be obliterated. We as North American folks have a terrible theology of suffering. Terrible. But yet, the New Testament is riddled with it. Ladies who are doing the Beth Moore study, you know, James chapter 1 says this. Consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all what? Joy. When you face all kinds of trials and tribulations and persecution, consider it all joy. You, you see on a little bit further, Peter was encouraging suffering Christians with the truth that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, when I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities... For when I am weak, then I am strong. D does that make sense? In, in my weakness, I am strong. In, in, in the time of persecution, of trial, of insults, of calamities, all these things that are coming your way, these things, you are going to be made, you are need, you're called to be steadfast. And in that steadfastness of your faith, you are made perfect. You are made perfect. The purest of Christian graces, I am convinced, the purest of Christian graces are forged in the furnace of adversity. I want you to think about the times when life has been the absolute most difficult, most painful, most trying, 
when your life is absolutely upside down. Maybe it was a time where you have lost a child. You have lost a job. You are just absolutely, you are broke. You are destitute. You aren't sure if your marriage is going to make it to the next place. If this relationship, if this engagement is going to go the next mile. Your job is constantly a pressure source. You are in a, a canister where every side is pushing in. Every side. And out of that time, if you are honest, out of those times, those times of adversity, we grow the most. Because our trust is no longer put in us. I'm, I'm I'm at a total loss. I don't know what to do. I have expended everything. And imagine this church. This church is, they are at the end of their rope. Persecution is coming. And Jesus says, and more is going to come. And the only encouragement Jesus gives them is this. Be faithful. Be steadfast. Be faithful even unto death. You see, these people were living in the, in the city of Smyrna. And Smyrna, the beautiful picture here is just a little bit of history. Smyrna, some 600, 500, 600 years before, was totally obliterated. It was totally destroyed with an earthquake, and it was leveled. Some five, 600 years later, it was resurrected to new life. In fact, where it was located along the Aegean Sea, it had an absolutely perfect harbor. So it suddenly became this bed, hotbed of commerce. Its streets were polished stone. There was a mountain called Mount Pagos. And Mount Pagos was where all the temples and all the, the, the public buildings were built around it. And after a while, these buildings, as you would look at it from the sea, Sun would shine on it and it would just glow. And around the top of it, there were temples to the various gods. And from a distance, it looked like a crown. The city of Smyrna was called the Crown of Asia. It was one of the places where the Caesars were worshipped highly. People adored the Caesars. They gave sacrifices. They gave their money. They gave everything to Caesar. They would worship Caesar. It was a beautiful place to live. And it was a pagan place to live. And God planted a church in the midst of this city. to be a light in a dark place. You can hear it in Jesus talking even, I want you to be a city on a hill. Let's kick Aphrodite off the hill. Let's kick Sybil off the hill. Let's put Jesus on the hill. Be a city on the hill. And don't cover your light. Let it shine brightly. Be the city on the hill that just shines out. So think of this. This is for us this morning. 
God is calling us, no matter where we're at, to be a city on the hill in spite of what is going on. He is calling us to be a city on a hill. But these Christians, they bought into it, lock, stock, and barrel. They were in passionate love with Jesus. They were unlike the church in Ephesus, where Jesus said, this is what I have against you. You have lost your first love. The church in Smyrna loved Jesus Christ. They loved him to the point that the Jews started persecuting him. Their faith was, they didn't just wear it on their, their sleeve, they wore it with their life. Their entire life was radiating the gospel work that was deeply penetrating their lives. And they, they shared and they loved and they cared for each other. They, they were actively involved in their world. Sharing the good news but there was a group of Jewish people who were speaking things about the Christians that was considered slander. The Greek word there is blasphemy. They were speaking falsely about the Christians. And the slander was probably, probably in the form of official indictments of, of the Roman authorities that the Christians were probably worshiping another king other than Caesar, which is true. They were worshiping another king, one even greater. One even greater than Caesar. And they were being rebellious, and they were being dangerous, and they were being divisive, which was false. And so this Jewish community was coming at them, left, and right, and left, and right. Because of their deep love and faith in Jesus Christ, their believing in the gospel will change a hard heart. They were being persecuted. And there was the promise of imprisonment. There was even the promise of potential death. And that's the situation in Smyrna. More than likely, this Jewish community who had a legalized religion underneath, underneath Rome's eyes were linking up with the Roman authorities and they were coming against the Christian church with official sanctions and they were about to put some Christians in prison and put some to death. The hard truth that we need to prepare for. Just as Revelation 2.9 says, that the opponents are not going to oppose us and say that we're wrong. But they're going to say that we're evil and dangerous. When the truth of Jesus Christ is preached, when our lives are lived out passionately, they're not going to say that we're wrong because they're... they're they obviously are going to say, well, it's working for him. But what they're going to say is that, you know what? That's dangerous. What they believe is dangerous. They may say that we're anti-choice. 
and that we're anti-woman, that we're anti-gay, that we're anti-intellectual, we're anti-tolerance, we're anti-diversity, etc., and etc., and etc. And they will do this in direct proportion to how publicly we proclaim the truths of Christianity. The more faithfully that we share the gospel, I am convinced the more that you share the good news of Jesus Christ, faithfully, passionately, truthfully, the more you do that, you will see in direct proportion to how you do that the amount of persecution that you will see. Part of me feels sorry for the Manitoba, Camp Manitoba crew. And and I struggle with this, working as as a, a pastor for a Christian community, Karen in a Christian school. Because we, we don't really see it. But when, it, when you work outside of our Christian bubble, when we engage culture with the truth of Jesus Christ, Jesus says that some things are going to happen. And you're going to experience splits in families. And some of you have experienced that. When you give your life to the work of Jesus Christ, when you are passionately in love with Jesus Christ, and your unbelieving family does not get it, splits happen. Maybe it's not persecution where you're going to be thrown into prison and suffer death. But you experience families going, what? You believe that? Really? You you stand for that? Have you no brain? Have you really? That is so intolerant. That is so unloving. That is so this, that is so that. When Christianity really goes public in the world, instead of making and remaining in our safe, isolated, comfortable sanctuaries, in our safe, comfortable Christian community, the opposition labels us, not as mistaken, but as evil and dangerous. And the ironic and really the tragic response of many Christians in that atmosphere of conflict is to simply disappear. To be non-confrontational. To blend into culture. And to think that they are doing God a favor by stirring up no opposition to His name. I will become benign. I will become benign. Because it is far more peace-loving. And that's not the way that the Christians in Smyrna responded. Jesus said in verse 10 that some of them would soon be, be cast into prison. And that they would be tested to the point of death. And it was all brought on by slander. By people who called, stood up and called them names. And Jesus 
Jesus' counsel here, you see nowhere in these few verses, Jesus' counsel was not just to lay low and disappear. Nowhere. His counsel is a hard one for us to swallow. His counsel was to be faithful to death. And I will give you a crown of life. It is so easy for our church to send $10,000 to the Camiolas if we never have to go, right? It is so easy for us to support missionaries across the sea and say, man, my hands are clean because I gave. You do the hard work so that I can enjoy my creature comforts. And Jesus says, listen, the call of a Christian is one of sacrifice. It is one of suffering. It is one that is costly. Take up your cross and follow after me. It is one of deep, deep, deep sacrifice. John Piper in his, his book called Desiring God on his chapter in suffering says this, the call of Christ is a call to live a life of sacrifice and loss and suffering that would be Foolish to live if there was no resurrection from the dead. Sacrifice. Even to death. I am tired. I am tired of safe Missio Dei Christianity. Tired of it. And I grow weary of calling myself, calling us to a life of deep sacrifice, of passionate love for Jesus Christ, for his gospel. I'm, I'm tired of saying, come, Follow after Jesus, the one who has given it all, who calls you to give your all. Come after him. Follow after him. And us week after week going, you know what? I can barely make it to church on time. Week after week, he calls us through the words of Scripture. Come, follow after me faithfully giving it all give me your best give me your absolute all we, we sing songs at the top of our lungs and some of us even even raise our heads and we say take my life and let it be consecrated lord to thee take my moments and my days and let them flow with ceaseless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for me Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold. Back off, Paul. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will. 
and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. It, God, it's my will is your will. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is I own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet it's treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. I don't know if anybody else here is done with church. Just doing it. Of showing up Sunday morning, getting in the schedule, and okay, I, I'm in the kids now, or oh, okay, I'm greeting, oh, okay, I gotta lead a small group tonight, oh, I gotta do this. I don't know how many of you are done with Christianity, but there is something strangely appealing to this. Because you know what this does? This calls your bluff. I don't care how many conservative theologians you, are, you have a man crush on. If you, you are in dire love with John Piper, or, or you are in love with John Calvin, or you are in love with Matt Chandler, or you are in love with... You fill in your own blank. Those things do not matter. And we've got to be done with that. At the end of the day, do you love Jesus Christ to the point where you are ready to be faithful to death? Which is the call of Jesus. Come follow me. And take up that cross. Put to death the things of your flesh and come to life, real life, and here's the promise. Here is the promise that he says. He who has an ear, oh, be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna has this, they, they call themselves the, the crown of Asia. They are this beautiful, they think they're this beautiful, thriving city that is successful, that has all these things. Everything is going for them. Everything looks really neat and beautiful. Their, their city streets are polished, and it looks really sharp and beautiful and really clean on the outside. But you know what? You be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. At the end, I will, I will, I will give you this crown. I will place it on your life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have given your life to the cause, even to death. You have given it all. Welcome. Enjoy. Savor me for eternity. And again, he, Jesus says, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the Spirit saying this morning to Missio Day Church? What is the Spirit saying to you 
personally as an individual? And if you're married, what is he saying to you as a married couple? And then what is he saying to you as a family? And then what is he saying to us as a congregation of covenant members and and believers in Jesus Christ who have come together to, to worship and enjoy and be in his mission? What is he saying to us this morning? He gives us an eternal perspective. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. See, at the end of time, there's heaven, there's hell. And you know what? There's a 100% guarantee that you will meet one of those. You will meet your judge. Is he going to look at you and say, well done. You're not going to be touched by the second death. Eternal lake of fire. You won't be touched by that. Come, enjoy eternal life in my kingdom. See, it's one thing to give your life to Jesus Christ and to love him and and to be a part of a community like this or whatever church you're going to be a part of. I, I, I don't care to, to give your life and to serve faithfully and be nice. But it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother lifestyle. It's a whole nother worldview. When, when you look at this and go, man, I, there's part of this sick part of me that I want to be tested. And I, I want to be found faithful. I want, I want to be part of a church that when they are pressed down and pushed and, and challenged and they receive all kinds of adversity from the left, the right, and the up and the down, all around them, they're found faithful. Even to death, there is a sick part of me that wants to be a part of of a community of believers that is so passionately in love with Christ, they give the very thing that is most precious to them, their life. We've got stories like of Smyrna. And I've read this story time and time again of Polycarp, who was put into place as the pastor of this church in Smyrna by John, the apostle. And Polycarp, the story is told that the Roman authorities, after the Jewish people had raised such a stink in the city, sent the Roman authorities to his house. And what did he do? He prepared a meal. He prepared a meal for these people who were going to be persecuting him. And after the meal was done, it it, it shook these people. These Roman authorities who were coming in, they were ready to bound and gag him and bring him off and kill him. He made a meal. And after he made a meal, he walked to his court date. 
And the magistrate, when he was before him, the magistrate pressed hard on Polycarp, the pastor of this church, and said, swear the oath and I will release you. Revile the Christ. Revile him. Turn your back and just say, no. I give up Christ. I give up his ways. It's a farce. This is a farce. And Polycarp said, for 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the the king who saved me? The magistrate then said, "I I have wild beasts here, and I'll throw you to them, except if you repent. Polycarp said, call for him. (laughs) Okay, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. This is the lions and tigers and bears that are coming for your flesh. And what what does Polycarp say? Bring him. Giddy up. Unleash the beasts. For the repentance from better to worse is a change not permitted to us. But it is a noble thing to change from untowardness to righteousness. And so the magistrate said to him again, I will cause you to be consumed by fire since you are not scared of the beast unless you repent. And Polycarp said, you threaten that fire which burns for a season and after a little while is squelched. For you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment which is reserved for the ungodly. But why delay? Come do what you will. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a community, a church community, a faith community, I will be faithful even until death. And Paul, if you are devoured by the lions, the tigers, firing squad, you know what? Your family is in good hands. We'll care for your wife and your children. If they take your wife, Paul, be faithful. Faithful to death. Remember the one who has saved you. Who's redeemed you. Who has transformed you and changed you. Who has made you a light to the nations. If they take your wife, be faithful to the one who has saved you and who has saved her. We've got your children. That's the community I want to be a part of. I don't know how many other takers there are here. Part of me would say, please don't come back next week if you don't want that. But that's my hope. I think that's God's desire for his church. A church that follows him, even to death. A church that, like the church in Ephesus, that is deeply in love with Christ. That is deeply in love with Christ. 
in such a way that they will die for Christ. Any takers? Because he's calling for you. The decision is ours to be faithful or unfaithful. Take my life, Lord. And let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. May this be our prayer. God, take me. Take my very life. All of it. And ultimately, for your glory's sake.